0: Psalm 37. Psalm 37. A psalm of exhortation to trust the Lord with your way. Trust the Lord with your path. And there's already been much, I mean, said or even sang about in regards to this this morning. Trust the Lord with your way. One. Commentary, this guy, he gave the title to this psalm as this, Nothing but God is more than everything. Nothing but God is more than everything. And just thinking along the lines of our way, our path of life, the path that God has for us, how would you describe Your way? How would you describe your path? And maybe just a little feedback, maybe just a little one word descriptions. How would you describe your path? Start us off, I think uh, the one song, blessings, trials. There's the trials, difficulties. Hard. Hard. Joy? Straight? Does it always look straight? No, From our perspective. Right now. <laughs> right now, okay. Uh, it is straight, right? Oh, straight. Wilderness. Providence. Providence. Good. Well, that's what we're going to be considering today—the way. And as we've, I mean, we've heard many different descriptions, even this morning, describing our way. And it, it is all those things, right? And at different times, it's—it's it's a path. It's a path of faith, isn't it? A path of of trust and difficulties. And that's what we come when we come to this psalm, Psalm thirty-seven. We find that what is being dealt with and what the readers are dealing with. Is this path of 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 difficulty, and being able to see? And once again, referring to one of the songs, uh, needing to be able to see a long way off. And right now, they're short sighted, so they're caught up in this difficulty in seeing things, and they're struggling. And it's actually resulting in sin in their life. Well, just a little overview here of this psalm. This psalm, it falls into the category of a, of a wisdom psalm, a, a full reading of this psalm, and even the few verses, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 6 uh, this morning. Uh, a reading of this psalm would bring to mind a number of verses in Proverbs, and you see a contrast uh, of, of the wise man, the righteous man, and the wicked, and, and that's a familiar um, refrain throughout the Proverbs. There does not seem to be a real progression of thought through the psalm as the Proverbs through this psalm, Psalm 37, they've been ordered alphabetically and alphabetically according to the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and essentially every other verse begins with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it was done that way in order to aid in memorization uh, for those reading it and so just... Share that because it pertains to this uh, psalm being a a psalm of wisdom. Okay, the theme of the psalm, and and let's go ahead and read verse 1, and we'll find really the theme of the psalm right here in verse 1. He says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. And so right at the outset here, we find that there's a struggle. There's a struggle here with the followers of the Lord, the followers of Yahweh and their path of life and with what they see in regards to, as it says here, the evildoers, the wrongdoers, the ones um, whose God is not the Lord himself. It is not Yahweh himself. But they are going their own way. And here they are seeking the followers of Yahweh are seeking to please Him. And here in their life, they're experiencing struggles. They're experiencing difficulties. And they sit back and they look, and those who are not following the Lord are experiencing prosperity. And so he tells them right at the outset here, one, we find the theme dealing with this this issue, the righteous, the followers of the Lord, suffering, the evildoers, the wrongdoers, the ones who are not following the Lord, being blessed, apparently, prosperity. So he says, do not fret. I have one uh, dictionary defined this word, uh, the, the Hebrew word here. It means to heat oneself in vexation. And we can see that when we're fretting or even becoming angry, that person's getting heated up, Right. And he says, do not heat oneself in vexation. And this, this fretting is this idea of, of vexation, annoyed, frustrated, worried. What are they not to fret over? The, the uh, evildoers. And then he goes on, and do not be envious towards them. Envy, the state of ill will towards someone because of some real or presumed advantage experienced by such a person. Another writer says this, it concentrates on the desire to possess what others have. And so it, it kind of it goes beyond. Uh, envy seems to go beyond jealousy. Jealousy is you're just jealous that another person has it. Envy seems to go beyond that and wish that they didn't have it and you did have it. And so he says it concentrates on the desire to possess what others have so that one is not satisfied. And so this is what's taking place in the person's heart is that they are not satisfied with the gifts that God has not given. Give read to you what one other individual says. He says, At the root in all sentiments of jealousy, which certainly within envy there's jealousy, is the basic posture of ingratitude to God, a failure to accept one's life as a gift from God. So just to step back and see what's taking place here. And and in the exhortations, I mean, they are to, uh, we see this taking place where uh, the solution to their envy, trust God, trust God, be content, be thankful for what he has given you. And when we're envious, we're not thinking of those things, are we? We're thinking of all the things we don't have and someone else does have. So the command here not to envy and tells that these wrongdoers then are prospering. They're prospering and in whichever way the followers of Yahweh are not prospering. They're suffering. They're struggling. Well, not to envy the evildoers, the wrongdoers. This is a common exhortation uh, found throughout scriptures, found in the book of Proverbs. Let me just read a few to you. Proverbs 3.31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. A danger here we find in Proverbs 3.31, for the follower of the Lord is to envy sinners and then to choose some of their ways, knowing their ways ultimately lead to destruction. Proverbs 23.17, do not let your heart envy sinners but live in the fear of the Lord always. Proverbs 24.1, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Proverbs 24.19, Do not fret because of evildoers, or be envious of the wicked. So as we hear this exhortation, as we read it in the Proverbs, as we read it here in Psalms, we realize this is something that the exhortation is for us. It's for us today. And when we, when we look at Scripture, we find that this is a common topic in Scripture, this common topic of, of why is it, how is it that the ones who are not following the Lord, the ones who are not submitting to Him are blessed, are prospering, and those who are following the Lord are suffering. This is constantly dealt with throughout the Scripture. Much of the book of Job dealt with this issue. In Job chapter 4, verse 8, when his, quote, friends start to uh, talk to him, share their helpful counsel with him. Eliphaz, one of the friends, the first ones, he says, according to what I have seen, Job, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. And so, I mean, much of the, and all of the book of Job is Job and his friends going back and forth on this topic, and, and, and they just get louder and louder each time it comes back for them to share. Job, you've sinned. Repent. That's why these bad things are happening. But we know the beginning of the book and we know the end of the book. And what happened to Job was by no means because of what he did, because of sin in his life. But the whole book of Job dealt with this issue. Psalm 73 deals with this issue. This issue. A minister in the temple Asaph, he says, my steps almost slipped for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looks, he sees the prosperity of the wicked and he looks at his life and he says, why am I living righteously then? What difference does it make? But then he comes in the presence of the Lord and he's awakened to reality. He sees the end of the wicked. He sees that it is good. What do I have, Lord, if I don't have you? This is one of the vain things Ecclesiastes deals with. Ecclesiastes 8.14 says, There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. That's one of those things in Ecclesiastes that he struggles with. Coming to terms with. The Gospels deal with this issue. I I mean. As I'm reading all these. I don't know how much convincing we need. That this is an issue. But just to see this theme throughout scripture. And to see that it's a need for us. Today. But the Gospels. There was a tower. That fell. Killed a certain group of individuals. And of course they're wondering. Was it. Because of their sin. They had to have done something wrong, right? And Luke 13, 2, Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? So see, they're expecting something bad happened to them. That means they had to have sinned. John 9, 1 through 2 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Those are the two options. <laughs> there's not a third one, is there, for them? Which one sees? So see, there's this kind of there's this rigid black and white. You do this, this happens. You do wrong, you sin, then negative consequences. You do right, you live a righteous life, then good things happen. This prosperity, and they forget that because of sin, things have been made crooked. It doesn't always work that way. Immediately in this life. Ultimately, yes, we reap what we sow. But things have been made crooked. Things have been made bent. It rains, as Jesus says, on on the righteous and the wicked. The sun comes up on the righteous and the wicked. Well, we know this to still be an issue today. I mean, we can have the thought. You know, Lord, I, I'm seeking you. I, I'm trying to please you, God, and this trial comes on my life. Why? What have I done? Or has this been for nothing that I'm serving you? Or this envy of another person, another person who's successful in what they do. They're experiencing this prosperity. And there's no fear of God before them. And we sit back and say, and, and here we are struggling. Struggling. Or not as blessed as much as they are. And we sit back and we say, why? What am I doing wrong? Or is it for not that I'm living for you, Lord? Well, how is the follower of the Lord, the believer, to respond to the prosperity of the wrongdoer and their own suffering? Well, let's look at verses 2 through 6 here. And, and, just, and look at the instruction the psalmist gives us here on how we are to respond, how the believer is to respond to the prosperity of the wrongdoer and their own suffering. The believer is to think rightly about the wrongdoer. That's the first thing. He is to think rightly about the wrongdoer. Look what he says in verse 2. After the exhortation, the command, do not be envious, do not fret because of the evildoer. Why? Verse 2, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. You want their success? You want their prosperity? You want this temporary, transitory success? Is that really what you want? Keep in perspective the brevity of the prosperity of the wrongdoer. Think rightly about them. Their prosperity is merely temporary. They are merely temporary. And in contrast to them fretting over and being envious towards them, the believer should be moved with compassion and love for the wrongdoer that they're amassing these things, that they're experiencing this prosperity only to experience eternal separation from the one who made them, only to experience the burning up of all their works and being separated from God. You remember the story of the rich young ruler and when Jesus comes or this, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to enter the kingdom? Says he's done all these things. Jesus tells him, Get rid of everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor. When well, that account of the rich young ruler, it says, Looking at him, Jesus felt love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Here's Jesus' response to those who are experiencing prosperity and are not following the Lord. He looked on him with love. He looked up on him with compassion. And oh, that we would look upon those who are not following the Lord. How can we look on a person with love when there's envy in our hearts? When we are fretting because of the apparent successes they're having. But Jesus here is moved with love, with compassion for them, knowing the reality of their heart, their condition, and where their path is ultimately ending up. They are truly exchanging their soul for nothing. And so the believer must think rightly about the wrongdoer. And no, it's not just this, this cold, oh, yeah, well, they're going um, to wither. Okay, that makes me feel... No, then we should be moved with compassion and grief and sorrow and love for them. So think rightly about the wrongdoer. And this isn't within this passage necessarily, but this also includes thinking rightly about ourselves, right? (laughs) I mean, who are we to deserve anything from the Lord? Who are we to say, God, you've held out on me. You haven't given me my due. No, he's been rich in grace and mercy towards us. Well, also the believer is to trust in the Lord. Verses 3 and 4, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your hearts. So the believer is to to trust in the Lord. this here is the remedy for resentment and envy. Trust the Lord, trust in Yahweh. the follower of the Lord for the follower of the Lord, this is really a matter of trust. trusting the Lord to hold the wrongdoer accountable to bring justice. Trusting and trusting the Lord with their own path that God has for them. These verses here, you notice that they're full of commands, and that's just what we need to hear when we're thinking right like this, aren't, isn't it? That we need to be shook and say, so "Oh wake up, Trust God. Do good, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness, delight in the Lord. Oh, no, I do. No, you're not doing those things. But if only God would do this. I trust him, but I trust him. No, you're not trusting God. Do these things. Come and fall down empty and say, God, I trust you. I don't have all the answers here. I don't have all the answers for them. I don't have all the answers for me in the way that you have Chosen for me the path that you have laid out before me at this time, but God, I trust you. And notice how these are all interrelated. Trusting the Lord, doing good. You're not going to do good if you're not trusting the Lord. They're not trusting the Lord, and what are they doing? They're envying. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. Cultivate Faithfulness. This, this dwelling in the land. Of course, the land that God had promised, had given to Israel. But he tells them to dwell in the land, this, this dwell. He is talking about settling down, resting, being at peace in the land, which they cannot do, right, if they're not trusting the Lord. See, they're all interconnected, interrelated here. And then they're not going to cultivate faithfulness if they're not dwelling in the land, if they're not resting where God has put them for this time. This word for cultivate, cultivate faithfulness, is the word used for shepherd. They're to, they're to shepherd their lives. They're to be shepherds of their lives, shepherds of their hearts. And you think about some of the main um, duties of a shepherd, feeding, nourishing, protecting. And, and we see there's some dangers here for these people, aren't they? They're, they're not guarding their hearts, so there's envy. So there's this fretting. They're not feeding. They need to feed it with truth. They need to feed it with reality. They need to feed it with Listen, you're not trusting God. Trust God. They need to fill it with the promises of God. They need to remind themselves of the mercy and the grace of the Lord. But this cultivate. So then cultivate faithfulness. But I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But God does. So today, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. We're fretting, worried over tomorrow, worried over a year from now. We're trying to control somebody else's life. We're not going to be... Dwelling where God has placed us today. We're not going to be resting. We're not going to be doing what the Lord would have us to do today and cultivating faithfulness in our life towards him. Oh, and what a, what a place to be, isn't it? To be in a place where you, you're, you're completely resting in the Lord. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I don't, need to, I don't need to be consumed with what a day is going to bring because I know today that God is faithful and I could trust him. And I could dwell, I can cultivate faithfulness. I could thank the Lord. Thank you for what you have given me, given me today before me to do today. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my children. Thank you for the work. you've given. Even if I don't know that it's going to be here tomorrow or a year from now, thank you today. For the work that you've given me to do today, Amen. to rest. Think of moms resting in the bringing up their children. I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Resting in what God's given. Thank you, Lord. You've given me these children at this time in my life to raise. May I dwell here? May I rest here? May I cultivate faithfulness here in my responsibility to these children? Not worried about all these other things maybe I feel that I'm not doing. But thank you for this right now, Lord. So dwell there. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight. He says take your eyes off others. Take your eyes off these wrongdoers. Take your eyes off them. Take your eyes even off. It's not and put your eyes on yourself. No, take your eyes off and put them on the Lord. Delight in him. One description of this term, it it says this. The path of true self-fulfillment does not lie in self-preoccupation, but in selfless preoccupation with God. See, I mean the path that these Individuals are on here in the psalm as a downward spiral of their eyes within themselves, looking just merely to themselves and to other people, not being able to lift their eyes up to the Lord and be truly fulfilled. He says, take your eyes off yourselves, put them upon the Lord. That is the true path to self-fulfillment. Well, one way here specifically that we delight in the Lord is delighting in and already kind of referred to this, but delighting in what he has given us in our way, in our path right now to do. Whatever it is, wherever God has placed us right now, delight in what he has given us to do that's one way that we delight ourselves in the lord recognizing god you have given me this god you have placed me here god this is your path for me and i'm going to dwell here and i'm going to cultivate faithfulness here and then what's he say the lord will do he will give you the desires of your hearts He will give you the requests, the petitions of your hearts. God's not holding back from them. God hasn't been withholding things. He says, no, ask, delight yourself in me, and listen, I will give you the desires of your heart. I will give you the petitions of your hearts. Just delight yourself in me. Ask, and I will give it to you. Well, just in light of these commands, the believer cannot remain in this state of envy and fretting, can he? Can't, I mean, he, he says, no, wake up, get out of it, command after command. You cannot stay in the state of resentment and envy. It's sinful. It's wrong. Repent. Trust the Lord, he says. And then thirdly, the believer then is to commit their way to the Lord. So the believers to think rightly about the wrongdoer, the believer is to trust the Lord and the believers to commit their way, their path to the Lord. They are to trust the Lord with their path of life. Verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your judgment as the noon day. It says commit. Commit your way to the Lord. It's this idea of rolling. It's The word is used, that of Rolling a stone. Example Genesis twenty-nine three, rolling a stone from the mouth of a well. And here we have this this stone, and to us it's a burden, it's a weight, and he says, Roll this, take it and roll it upon the Lord. That's trusting, right? Trusting is when we say, let I'm not holding any of this. I'm not rolling the stone and holding it with a finger. No, I'm completely rolling it up on the Lord and saying, God, it's yours. Whatever you have for me, this path of life, this way that you have for me, God, it's yours. I roll it. I commit it to you. And what peace and what joy then comes to the child of God. As we could say, you know what? I don't know. I don't have the answers. I don't know what a day's going to bring. But that's okay. Because the Lord can bear that burden. The Lord can carry that So roll this committing, committing our way to the Lord, rolling it over to the Lord. So for the readers here in Psalm 37, the stone of judging what their way should be and also that of judging the way of others, they are to roll, roll it up on Yahweh. And specifically here, as we said, it's their way. That's what they are to roll upon the Lord. It's their way. Here it's one's life, their path of life, the path that the Lord has. And notice he says, your way, your way, your way, which is different than everybody else's way. Roll your way upon the Lord. And... and, When we think of that, he says, rule your way up on the Lord. We can sit back and say, well, why isn't my way like their way? I wish my way could be like their way right now. And there can breed this discontentment in our hearts. And he says, listen, this is the way I have for you. Commit it to me. Commit it to me. And when you turn and you look back and you'll see that it was for good. For good beyond what you could imagine, what you could even think. In regards to one's way, one's path of life, you know, often that we try to figure out and may we become anxious over when we don't know what the way is that the Lord has for us. Reminded that this is solely a prerogative of the Lord. Proverbs sixteen nine says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs twenty twenty four. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? It's directed by God. It's, how can you even expect to understand your way? You're setting out to understand something that's not given to you, to us, to understand. Because it's the Lord who directs your steps. Job would, would have never directed his paths the way God directed them in the story of the book of Job, would he? Go ahead, take everything of mine. Bring me to poverty. Bring me to poverty. Take my family, my children. Take my health. Would Job have chosen that path? But listen to Job's response at the end of that story. Job 42, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, Job says, I have declared that which I did not understand. See, throughout the book, Job, in vindicating himself, was essentially accusing God. And Job, throughout the book, in response to his friends, I mean, he became arrogant in demanding God to show up and to vindicate him. Vindicate, God, you know I haven't done anything wrong. God, you're the one in control of this. God, you vindicate me. And, of course, God doesn't show up when Job expects. Eli comes along, and after a lengthy speech then here comes God out of the whirlwind and he doesn't answer Job to the why of his path that God has led him on but he says Job essentially listen you can't control any of creation you can trust me with this part of your life and so it humbles Job to say you know what it's good enough for me to trust God (laughs) I don't need to know the answers and so listen to what he says there Starting in the middle of verse 3, Job 42, Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Amazing. Job can look back on his life and these years here where he experienced trials beyond what many or most of us can even imagine. And he looks back at this and he says, These were things too wonderful for me which I did not know in regards to God's dealing with it, in regards to where God brought Job to here in the end of the book. And so Psalm 37, verse 6, actually the end of verse 5, he says, Trust also in him, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. He will do it. God will act. God is acting. Do you think that these readers here felt that God was working in their life? When they're envying the evildoers, they're saying, listen, they're prosperous and we're suffering. God, do you see us down here? God, are you aware of what's going on? And this feeling of, of that God is not there, that God does not see what's going on. But know that God is acting and is always acting on behalf of his children. So he says, and and God will do it. Trust God. He is acting. No matter how much it may seem that God is not acting, God is not working, God is not blessing, he is. And he says, he will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your judgment as the noonday. God will bring forth your vindication. Just as he brought forth Job's vindication Today, all who read the book of Job know that Job was vindicated. Those trials brought on to Job were not because of sin in his life. The end of the book of Job, Job is vindicated. God goes and commands his friends to repent for these wrong things they have said of him. God was acting. Job's vindicated. And so will all followers of the Lord be vindicated. And I love how Scripture gives... um, gives reminders to us, things to remind us of of reality, of truth in the scripture, and often is connected to nature. Notice he says, He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. As sure as the dawn comes, as sure as noonday comes, the Lord is acting on your behalf. You get up today, you see the sun rising, you know that God is working on your behalf for the follower of the Lord, for his children. Know it. It's a reality. No matter how you feel, you look, you see the sun, it's noontime in Lancaster. there a town next to where we live. At noon, there's a siren that goes off to keep the birds out of the siren, I guess, there in case it's needed. But it's a great reminder. It's noontime. But as sure as the noon comes, listen, God is working. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God is not punishing you. It's been finished in the work of Christ. God is working for your good. Trust in him. Do good. Dwell on the land. Cultivate faithfulness. Let me conclude just with reading this song. Thy way, not mine. Thy way, not mine, O Lord. However dark it be, O lead me by thine own right hand. Choose out the path for me. Smooth let it be or rough. It will be still the best. Winding or straight, it matters not. It leads me to thy rest. I dare not choose my lot, I would not if I might, but choose thou for me, O my God, so shall I walk aright. Take thou my cup, and it with sorrow fill, as ever best to thee may seem, choose thou my good and ill. May that be our heart this morning.